Anyways, um, good morning, church, and welcome to week two of our 2022 vision series, Deeper. For those of you who um, maybe you missed last week, uh, basically, this series is based on a word that God gave us as a church and as individuals that in 2022, we need to step out of the shallows of our just contemporary, simple Christian faith and actually start to go deeper in our relationship with God. Deeper into a place of love, deeper into a place of peace, deeper into a place of hope, deeper into a place where we, we rely on God, where we trust God, and we say, God, no matter what happens, I trust you first. It's deeper into a place of, of healing. And, and so we, we started off last week by, by doing a dive into the meaning of what, like what it means to actually go deeper. Looking at the juxtaposition of the shores, which is where we believe in God, or sorry, the shores, which is where you don't believe in God, the shallows where you believe in God, but you trust in yourself, and the deep where you are fully reliant on God. And I'm not going to go over that too much in depth. If you missed it, though, last week, and you want to see your pastor get soaking wet in a pool that was on stage, check it out after the service. Um, it's on YouTube, it's on our website, check it out. Because that, sir, that, uh, that message really sets the framework, the foundation for what we're talking about over these next seven weeks. And, and this week, though, I want to start to explore the why. Why should we go deeper? Why should we want to go deeper? And really, what does the deep look like? What truly is the call uh, of the deep? Because really, for us to change, it requires three things. One, it requires, this is according to social psychologists, I didn't just make this up. One, it requires that you feel it in your heart. You have to understand what are the benefits, how will my life be better. You have to feel it emotionally. Two, you, you have to know it in your brain. You have to answer all those silly why questions, like why, what's the benefit, what, what will this actually give me, what's, what's the importance, what difference will it make. And three, you have to shape the path, which is to create habits to help you along the way. Because the reality is, uh, anytime you try and make a change in your life, if you don't start to form habits that will help you stay in that change, self-control is a limited resource. And you can only control your behavior so long before you run out and you're just going to default to whatever your default is. So you have to shape the path. So, so with deeper, well, the heart, God is calling you deeper because there's something better for your life. And it's not where you're at now. He has something better for your life than where you currently are, than what you currently are doing. He wants to, to work in your life and to work through your life and to do something incredible and bring you into a new thing. And with the mind, really, well, God is calling you deeper because the world will try and trick you and trap you and confuse you with this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, do this, do that. And, and it will try and make you believe things that aren't true. And God wants to set you free from that, that worry, that fear, that anxiety, those problems that you're dealing with. And the path, well, the path is, is simple. Um, we have a bunch of resources, gateway.ec slash deeper, some declarations you can read over, some, some uh, um, Bible reading plans you can do, a worship playlist, a bunch of books that we'd recommend and you read just simple things that you can do to help form habits as you go deeper. And, and really, those are just resources, though. Because if you really want to go deeper, you're going to have to put in the work. When you wake up in the morning, take 30 minutes. Spend that time with God. When you go to bed, 
Take some time. Spend that time with God. Being intentional to have a relationship with God, to read your Bible, to pray, to, to get invested in what God is doing and to hear his voice. You see, the reality is we have to go deeper. We have to go deeper. The shallow Christian faith is no longer sufficient if you want to receive what God has for you. You have to go deeper. And so this morning, I want to focus on the why. I want to focus on the heart, the emotional side of it. What makes us go deep? What should motivate us to go deep? What truly is the call of the deep? You know, not too long ago, Disney released a remake of a movie called The Call of the Wild. And let's throw a picture up of the, the, do- the man and his dog, Harrison Ford, and uh, that's an actual actor. It's not a real dog, apparently. Um, but <laughs> if you want a really creepy thing, just go on YouTube and search up, like, um, Call of the Wild behind the scenes, and they'll show a person in a green, su- green screen that makes a dog. Really strange. Anyways, I digress. Um, but it was this remake of this, this movie that was originally released in the 70s based on a book from the 1900s. And I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it. But essentially, the, the concept of the movie is you have this dog who, he, he grew up in California in the house of this judge. It was this great place. And he's kidnapped, or I guess dognapped, and brought to the Yukon to be used as a tool in, in, uh, in the gold rush. And so he's taken from his home, and, and throughout the story, so many different things happen to him, b- good things, bad things, and, and, and really, this, to sum up the movie, it's all about the title. It's all about the call of the wild, the call to separate, the call to be distant from society, to, to be in a place that's untouched by people, to be in a place where, where there, you're not worried about the demands and constraints of society and, and the desires of wealth and power. It's, it's to be separate. And from the dog's perspective, well, the call of the wild really meant to be free. Meant to be free from the people who used and abused and hurt him, who saw him just as a tool, to be free to do his own thing. And, you know, I think that concept is one that resounds a lot in our hearts. We want to be free. How many of you want to be free from the fear and anxiety and stress of daily life? Just a few, okay. The rest of you, I don't know what's going on in your heart, but that's fine. But we want to be free. We want to be free from that stress, that anxiety, that fear that, that we deal with on a daily basis. We want to be free from the debates and politics and the, he said this, she said this, and all that drama. We want to be free from the drama and especially the evil that we see perpetrated in our world around us. We want to be free. But for most of us, that does not mean moving to a log cabin in the north of Yukon and being completely separate from people. Because maybe you're like me and the conveniences of modern society are just a little too nice. Like Wi-Fi? Anyone fan of Wi-Fi? Like, come on. There's just simple things like that. Microwaves, just amazing. I, I, cooking over, a, having to kill and process and find my own food. That just sounds miserable. I'd rather go to a supermarket and do it. So for most of us to be free, it's not about separating from society and in the call of the deep, the call of the deep is really not about separating from society, about being distant from society. It's about 
being separate from the ideas of society. Because I want to be very clear here. Call of the Deep is not me preaching, don't go to movies, don't hang out with non-Christians, don't do X, don't do Y, don't do Z. Like, it, it's not about that. Because the reality is that the Bible calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 puts it this way, and bear with me, this verse is very interesting. Um, but it says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. But now I'm writing you to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. And really, there's a lot we can unpack in this passage. But the context is that Paul has received word that in the church in Corinth, there's a man who's sleeping with his father's wife. And the church is like, yes, this is great. We've got a terrible person in the church. This is great. We're celebrating it. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Don't celebrate their sin. Get them out of leadership. Show them what they're doing wrong. Show them what the right thing is it is. And he goes on and he talks about that a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. So become as you are a new batch that you might be unleavened. And really the point is that Paul is saying don't associate with sexually immoral persons. The point is don't associate with people in the church who are living in a way that is contrary to God and are like, oh no, this is okay and you should follow my behavior. Because God doesn't care how I act. It's like, no, 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 that's not the point. God cares how you act because he loves you and he wants to protect your heart. And so he says, don't associate with those people because bad character rubs off. But he clarifies, I'm not talking about avoiding people outside of the church who mess up. I'm not talking about avoiding people who sin differently, differently than you and are not a part of the church. I'm not talking about avoiding the world called to be in the world, but not of the world. And he says this very interesting point shortly after this. He says, who am I to judge those outside the church? It is, that's God's job. It is those inside the church that we are to judge. We're not called to judge people who are outside the church. We're called to love them. But those inside, well, we're supposed to call them to a higher standard. You see, the reality is, the point of this passage, the reason I brought this up, is, is, is the call of the deep is not a call for us to separate. It's not a call for us to be distant. It's not a call for us to form a Christian cult, and then we all live in one neighborhood, and we all talk to each other, and anyone who's not Christian doesn't go to this church, isn't welcome. That's not the point. The point is not to leave the world. But the point is to be able to be in the world but you are so in love with Jesus that the world doesn't touch you. You're so in love with Jesus that the ideas of the world that stand at war with God cannot affect you. Because it doesn't matter what the world says, it matters what God says. See, going deeper is not a separation from people, it's a separation from ideas. And a love towards God. But you know, why is this important? What and what truly is the call of the deep? Well, simply put, it's, it's love. It's love. You know, as a society, we love to love love. 
I know I just said that word a lot of times, but, but we as a society in general, we love love, basically. We, we, we're just in love with love. Like, if you don't believe me, just hop on Netflix and see how many rom-coms you can find. Like, it, it's ridiculous how much we love love, but the problem is that we define love in a very twisted way. Because in our society, we tend to think love is a feeling, and that's it. Like, I'll love the person if they make me happy, they fulfill all my desires, if they, uh, they make me feel good, they give me pleasure. And, and the second that a person does something that hurts you or ticks you off, or does, they just, they, they, as soon as somebody causes a problem, well, oh, well, I, I can't love them anymore. But you see, the reality is that love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. It, true love requires a commitment. So when me and my wife started dating, I'm going to use our relationship as a bit of a paradox here. But when me and my wife started dating, at one point, a couple weeks in, we had the talk to find the relationship, you know. And really, in that moment, what we were saying is, are we, like, doing this thing? Are we dating? Like, are you my girlfriend? Am I your boyfriend? Like, I don't know. And, And really, we were just saying, yeah, this is, this is it. And, and it was the start of this process where we were committing to one another, to testing out and letting love grow, to testing out if we could work well together and, and truly love each other. And, and when we started dating, really what we chose to say is we chose to say, I'm committing to treating you with respect, to treating you with honor, and and as long as this relationship still keeps going, I will respect you and honor you and and love you. Maybe I won't say that right away, but I'm going to treat you with the love you deserve. And really, the big thing with that is I'm not going to see other people. But, you know, if we'd had the talk... And we're like, oh, are we a thing? Oh, yeah, we're a thing. We're dating. Yay! It's Facebook official. Woo! If we'd done all that, and we're dating, and then the very next day I was on Tinder, and like, ooh, she's pretty. And ooh, this person's pretty. And, and like, starting to meet up with other girls and go on dates with other girls, I can guarantee you our relationship might have lasted three days. It would have lasted from the moment that we defined the relationship to the moment that my now wife found out that I was dating other girls. And, and really, what would have happened was our love wouldn't have had opportunity to grow. We wouldn't have had the opportunity to endure the hard seasons of, of personal growth and compromise. We wouldn't have been able to get engaged and married. And, and our relationship wouldn't be strong as it is today, four years later. You know... All those things happened because we were committed to our love. You see, you want to be successful in a relationship? Here's a piece of advice. You have to settle and accept that maybe there's someone else out there that's better for you. But as long as you're with this person, they're the only one you're looking at. You know, I think in our society, I know in our society so often we think that settling is bad. But recently I was reading a quote from, from a book called 4,000 Weeks. It's, 
this fascinating book on time management. It's called Time Management for Mortals, and the concept is fascinating. I, I just love that kind of book. But, but it was talking about settling, and in the book it says, it puts it this way. It says, the received wisdom is that it's a crime to settle. But the wisdom is wrong. You should definitely settle, or to be more precise, you don't have a choice. We tend to contrast a life of settling with a life of striving, living life to the fullest, but that's a mistake because living life to the fullest requires settling. You don't become an ultra-successful lawyer or artist or politician with fir without first settling on law, art, or politics, and therefore deciding to forego the potential rewards of other careers. If you flip between all of them, you'll succeed in none of them. Likewise, there's no possibility of a romantic relationship being truly fulfilling until, unless you're willing, at least for a while, to settle for that specific relationship with all its imperfections, which means spurning the seductive lure of an infinite number of superior imaginary alternatives. You know, you want to succeed in a relationship. Well, that doesn't happen if you keep your options open. You have to settle. As long as you're in a relationship, you have to settle for that person. And obviously that does not mean if you're in an abusive or hurtful relationship that you should just settle and accept it. Absolutely not. But if you're in a loving, honoring, respectful relationship and you want to s that relationship to succeed, you have to settle for that season. But you know, so often in our society, dear, if you can come over here, so often in our society, we like to keep our options open. We like to have, as people would say, open relationships. And really, that's a problem because you can't have a successful marriage in an open relationship. But you know, as I was thinking about this concept of love and love covering us deeper, what I realized is very often in our spiritual life, we act as if we're in an open relationship with God where we have God over here, and my wife is just standing in because she was made in the image of God. Um, so she's a stand-in for God. But we have God over here, and we love God. If you believe in God, you have a relationship with him. But we have also all of these other interesting, fun, alluring things from the world that we try to flirt with. And we have this relationship with God but at the same time, you've got money, success, family, and pleasure. They're all they're trying to get our attention. So it's like, oh, God, it's great. I love you. This is amazing. This is why I picked my wife, because I felt it would be awkward otherwise. <laughs> but, you know, money's just looking really attractive right now. Oh, you're right. I should have a million dollars in the bank account. That would be pretty good. If I just had a million dollars in the bank account, I'd be set. I'd be happy. You're right, money. God, I love you, but money, I love you too. And then, of course, can't have money without success. <sighs> Ooh. I should be the CEO of that big company? Yep. It's my life's goal now. Or to put it in terms for anyone under 30. Ooh, I should be an influencer?
That'll make me happy. That'll fill that deep need in my heart. So if I just have more money, more success, well, then my life will be set. But then, you know, we start to dream. And we think about, oh, that perfect imaginary family. You know the one where your wife is just super attractive and she never causes problems. You get to, if you're a guy, you get to play video games all day and she just waits on you. She's basically your slave, but you know, you're not going to put it in that term. And then also the family where, of course, you have the perfect children. They never poop their diapers when they're babies. They came out potty trained, praise God. They grow up and they're just perfect little angels and they're all going to be the president of the United States. I'll be able to live through them. Oh, if I just had that perfect family, that would be great. But then, of course, also, you know, can't forget about when I'm really stressed and really struggling. I come home from work and I'm just having a hard, had a bad day. Well, I can't forget about pleasure. I had a bad day, so I deserve to feel something. So I'm going to turn to food. I'm going to turn to pornography. I'm going to turn to something else fill that need for happiness. And so we have a relationship with God, but we're also busy flirting with the world. And you come to church on Sunday, and you sing songs, and yes, Jesus! And you go home, and you're reading your Bible, you have an active relationship with God, and yes, this is amazing, I'm growing in my faith, but come on, God! Because I love money, too. And oh, I can't have money without success, so God, just follow along. My wife hates mannequins, so this is killing her right now. <laughs> and ooh, I got money, I got success. Well, now I also need family, so I'm just going to get this, and I'm also going to get pleasure, and we're just going to have a baby. God, why are you distant? Our arms are so full of our relationships with the things of the world that suddenly God feels distant. Like, dear, try and just try and give me a hug or something. Try and, you're just not even going to come near. <laughs> We're like, God, why are you distant? Well, it's because your arms are so full, you can't receive what he has for you. See, the reality is that a one-sided relationship does not work. One person is fully committed to the relationship, and the other one is like, oh, I love you, but I also love all these other things. That relationship will not flourish. It will not grow to the depth that it's supposed to grow. Which is why I think, actually why I know that in the Bible it tells us that God is a jealous God. And so often we're like, oh, well, jealousy, isn't that a bad emotion? Well, maybe. But it says God is a jealous God, and that's because he loves you so much. He does not want to share you with these other things. He alone wants to sit on the throne of your heart. He doesn't want to be one among many. He doesn't want to be put alongside, ooh, look at all of my gods. This is great. No, no, he alone wants to be Lord over your life. And that's why in Exodus 20, we find in the first commandment that God says this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I think so often, oh dear, stay, stay, stay. Come over here. I just want to separate you from the idols. But so often, I think we read this verse, and we're like, oh, well, I don't have a statue of a goat in my house that I bow down to every day, so check that Ten Commandments off my list. One down, nine more to go. But you know, anything can be an idol in your heart. When you wake up in the morning, and God's like, hey, can I have a relationship with you? Can I talk to you? Can, can we communicate? And you go on your phone, well, maybe your phone's an idol. Worshiping at church and you feel that buzz of a notification and it's Instagram telling you you got an update on how many likes you got. I just have to check because it's important. Did I get 12 likes instead of 11? <sighs> Maybe Instagram's an idol. Anything in your life can be an idol if you put it before God. Money, success, family, pleasure, those are just examples. They're big picture examples of the different things we deal with, the different things that people struggle with and have as idols in their heart. You can, I could go on because you can make your children an idol. You can make video games an idol. You can make food an idol. You can make yourself an idol. And the point of this verse is God is saying, don't think that you are in control of your life and you get to choose what is going to supply for your needs. Don't think that you can just choose, oh, money's going to help me instead of God and I'll be fine. But so often this is what we do. We have this relationship with God. I'm following Jesus, but I'm also following the teachings of that other religion. I'm following Jesus, but I'm also following the teachings of Disney. Because, you know, a billion dollar media conglomerate really cares about your spiritual vitality. I'm following Jesus, but I'm also following the social media influencers that I like, the social media platform that I like, the news outlet that I like, the politician that I like. I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm also going to listen to these other things. But here's the thing. God does not share power, authority, or jurisdiction with Disney. He does not share it with a politician. He does not share it with Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden. He does not share it with your favorite social media influencer. He does not share his power, authority, or jurisdiction with anyone. The authority, the authority people have has come from God. It is his. His first. And he does not share it with anyone. So why would I worship anything? There's not really a God. But so often we act as if we're in an open relationship with God. Like I can love God, but I can also love money. I can love God, but I can also love success. This is what we do. We love God, but I love my family. Nothing wrong with loving your family. Just do you put them first before God. I love God. But I love pleasure too. 
But again, a one-sided relationship does not build love. And the reality is that God has done his part. He's done his part. He knew you before the world was created. He knew that you were going to be created before the world was created, and he chose to love you. And he sent his son to die so that he could have a relationship with you. He's done his part. He's saying, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm waiting. But will you just come to me? Come to me. Rely on me instead of all these other idols. And Psalms 42 puts it this way. Thanks, dear. Psalms 42 puts it this way. My deep need calls out to the deep kindness of your love. Your waterfall of weeping sent waves of sorrow over my soul, carrying me away, cascading over me like a thundering cataract. All through the day, Yahweh, God, has commanded his endless love to pour over me. Through the night, I sing his songs and my praises to the living God. It's the idea of the depths of me need the depths of you. This idea that deep down in my soul, there's a longing that I have to be filled by something. And we try to use money, we try to use success, we try to use family, we try to use pleasure to fill that hole. But the reality is that that can only be filled by God. Because God is the source of love. God is the source of life. And what the psalmist is saying is that being distant from the love of the eternal God is like being in a chaotic sea without a ship and without being able to swim. It's this expression of a life longing for God that is only fulfilled in the deep. So you want to go deeper? Well, you have to commit. You have to commit. Because only when you commit will you be able to go deep enough that the waters of God's love aren't just covering your feet. They aren't just up to your knees. They aren't just up to your shoulders, but they'll be covering all over you. But for that love to grow, for that relationship to grow, you have to commit. And you know, the second thing you have to do, though, is another C word that we as a society hate. You have to be willing to change have to be willing to change. It's a C word people don't like. Because I don't want to change. I feel I'm perfect the way I am, so why should I want to change? But you see, the reality is uh, a successful relationship requires compromise, which is a fancy way of saying you change a little bit and I change a little bit, and we'll meet in the middle. Requires change. You know, when Kim and I were dating, I mean, still to this day this happens, but you know, I'm going to share past problems, not current problems. Um, <laughs> this isn't a therapy session. Come on. Um, <laughs> but when Kim and I were first dating, there was a number. Of, we had to have a number of hard conversations. And and usually it was one of us did something to hurt the other. And by usually, it, it was me. Just, just be real. It was it was mostly me. Um, but but we had to have these hard conversations. And I remember once. She called me, and I was at my apartment, and, and she was at her house, and she called me, and, and she was just so frustrated and fed up because, in, in her words, she wasn't feeling loved. And I, in the phone call, I was just confused because I was like, where did this come from? But really, afterwards, I took a step back, and I realized that the problem was, well, my love languages are quality time and physical touch, so if we just hang out and hug each other on a couch, great. 
feel loved, just hug, not anything else. Anyways, I heard one person laughing, and I figured brains went that way. Um, but, <laughs> but quality time is just like, let's cuddle and talk. Cool, done. But one of her love languages is words of affirmation. And so I was loving her in the way that I receive love, and I thought, oh, I'm doing a great job. She must feel so loved. But she wasn't receiving love the way I was showing her love, and so she felt unloved. And at first I was frustrated, but I realized that I just had to shift my behavior a little bit. I had to change to meet her where she was at, to love her the way she needed to be loved. And so what I started to do was I started to leave little love notes everywhere. Just simple, like, oh, you're so beautiful. I love you so much. Put them some random place in her house. And just something that I started to do because it showed her love. Because, you know, when you love somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to make them happy. You see, love changes us. Committing to love, we are committing to change from being someone who, who will go out and be interested in other people and being committed to one person. We're committing to choosing one person. We commit to changing the little things that we do that bug that person and also to adapting and doing what we can to help them make them happy. See, the reality is the, the, the more you love somebody and the longer you're with somebody, the more you will change to be like each other. That's why if you have grandparents who've been married for 80 years, they just start to, like, which one's grandma, which one's grandpa? I don't know. It's, they change. The behaviors change. And obviously, they're still distinct people. But you begin to change to become similar And really, it, the, the idea of it is that sometimes you just, you just need somebody to walk alongside you. To call you out when you're doing bad things, stupid things, making wrong decisions, believing lies. To call you out and remind you who you are. You know, many times, me and my wife have had conversations where she's like, ooh, you said this, you probably shouldn't have. I'm like, oh, shoot, you're right. She's just reminding me of how who I should be, the kind of man I want to be. And sometimes she'll come home from work and she'll just be really hard on herself and just like picking at her perceived imperfections and problems and just being really, really mean to herself. And when she does that, I just stop her and I'm like, excuse me, stop being mean to my favorite person. Because I want to show her how I see her and how God sees her and to call her and remind her of who she is when she's struggling. And you know, the reality is that it's the same with your relationship with God. The longer you spend in God's presence, the, the more you spend with God, when you realize the greatness of God, of who he is, and commit to loving him first before anything else, it will not automatically start to draw you deeper. And the more time you spend with him, the more your behavior and your worldview will change to become like his. Because unlike an actual like, human relationship where both of us will change to adapt and become more like us, God is already perfect. He does not need to change. We're the problem. And so as we spend time with him, we begin to shift and change. You know, so often people think, oh, well, relationship with God, Christianity is all about a list of do's and don'ts. Well, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about a relationship. But the reality is, when you have a relationship with somebody, at some point, they're going to start to call you on your stuff. 
And at that point, you have the choice to say, ooh, you're right, I should change, or to say, no, 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 this relationship's done. It's the same with God. He, he will, when you spend time with him, he will start to call you on your stuff, to call you on the lies you believe, and, and you'll begin to change and shift and become more like him. You know, when you love your wife, you won't cheat on her with other people. You won't do things that make her angry. You won't treat the people she loves with, with disrespect. And, and you'll start to do things like the dishes, cleaning up the house, helping out around the house. You start to be there for her because love changes your behavior. And the more time you spend with God, the more you'll begin to see yourself and things around you from his point of view. And when you do bad things, he'll call you out. When you believe lies about yourself and about the world, he will reveal to you the truth. But all of that happens in relationship. I can preach for 50 years and never get a single, a single piece of truth into your brain. But God can in a moment. And the reality is that if you want to have a good understanding of yourself, the world, of what is right, what is wrong, how you fit into this world. Maybe you need to start spending time with the guy who created the world, who loves you, who knew you before he created the world, who died for you, who cares about you, and who knows the beginning from the end. You want to know what you should do with your life? Well, maybe you should spend time with God. Who knows? He already knows. You just have to find it. John 15 find this statement from Jesus where, where Jesus, he's on his way to the cross, and he's spending six chapters, really, just telling his disciples, here's my last words, essentially, is what it comes down to. And in John 15, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not want to know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father may give you whatever you ask in his name. I'm giving you this commandment that you may love one another. And you know what's crazy with this verse is that the idea that we are friends with God implies a stunning level of personal interaction with the dude who created the universe. In the Old Testament, there was two people who were called the friend of God. One directly, Abraham, and one in, by implication, Moses. But now Jesus is inviting us all into a personal, living relationship with the God of the universe. And he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. All we have to do to enter that relationship is accept it. Let's believe it. We did not earn God's love, but he freely gave it to us. He doesn't require us to change in order to receive love. It's not about the, the follow, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. That's not about a list of do's and don'ts. That's about a relationship where you begin to change and shift your worldview to be like his. And the purpose of this love and this relationship that God is calling us to is that we might love one another. To commit to it, we are changed because of it, 
And it's for us to demonstrate to others so that when others see us, they don't see stuck-up, stereotypical, judgmental Christians that they expect, but they see somebody who's full of love, life, joy, hope, wisdom, somebody who's healthy, happy, and, and wise, who is whole because we went deep in our relationship with God. We're going to end in a moment, but before we do, I want to read this story. It's a story from a pastor down in the States named Erwin McManus and out of a book that he wrote called Soul Cravings. And the story goes basically that he was on this missions trip and he was in a Middle Eastern country talking to Muslims and he was trying to preach the gospel and they just, they weren't getting it. And, and he's fed up, they're fed up and finally they're like, just explain to us why did Jesus come? So he tells the story about how he met his wife, Kim. And Irwin says this, I once met a girl named Kim. My translator looked at me confused, but I encouraged him to simply translate. I once met a girl named Kim, and I fell in love. I pursued her with my love until I felt my love had captured her heart. So I asked her to be my wife, and she said no. I was unrelenting, though and asked her again, pursuing her with my love, and I pursued her with my love until she said yes. But I did not send my brother, nor did I send a friend, for in issues of love, you must go yourself. See, this is the story of God, he writes. He pursues you with his love and pursues you with his love, and perhaps you have not said yes. And even if you reject his love, he pursues you ever still. It was not enough to send an angel or a prophet or any other for in issues of love, you must go yourself. And so God had to come. This is the story of Jesus, that God has walked among us and he pursues us with his love. He's very familiar with rejection, but he's undeterred. And he is here even now, still pursuing you with his love. We're going to close here, but I want to give two opportunities for people this morning. First is for anyone who's here, and you've never chosen to enter into that relationship with God. Maybe you've been in churches before, and you've heard about God's love, but you've never chosen to receive that, and, and today you want to make that choice. So if that's you, go back to the last slide, next, or previous slide. Nope, back, back, we're not at the declarations yet. But if that's you, and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, I just want to give you that opportunity this morning. See, Jesus took me from being a liar, a cheater, took me from being somebody who was addicted to pornography and just had all kinds of issues. I was broken. And he didn't make me perfect, but I'm progressing. It's because of my relationship with him and it's because of his love. So if you're here today and you want to make that decision, you've never made it before, but you want to receive that love that God has for you, if I can just get everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a moment just between you and God, no one looking around. But if you're here and you've never decided to follow Jesus, but you want to receive his love this morning, I'm going to count to three, and all I want you to do is slip up your hand and put it right back down. One, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, if you want to follow Jesus and receive his love, just slip up your hand. people coming from 
that decision this morning, you just made the best decision you could ever make. Because you just decided to receive the love that God has for you. He loves you more than you could ever know. And now the next step is to start to walk in that relationship with Him. And so if you made that decision and you want to start walk out, walking out the relationship, I just want to encourage you, go on our website after the service. Go to gateway.ac slash believe. We have a bunch of resources there to help you out. The second thing I want to do, though, this morning is, is for those of you who do follow Jesus. You have decided to follow Jesus. You are in a relationship with God, but you've been in an open relationship with Him. Where you've been with God, but you've also been with the world, and you're like, I'm done. I'm done. I want the fullness of what God has for me in the deep. I'm done. So if that's you, we're not going to do anything super profound. I'm not going to pray a prayer that will magically change your life. Because the reality is going deeper and receiving God's love requires commitment. You have to work at it. You have to be willing to get up in the morning and spend time with God. To, to go to work and pray, you have to be willing to commit to it. To have building that relationship with God. So if that's you, what, and you want to go deeper, but you're struggling, in a moment we're going to read some declarations together. It's not that these declarations are magical, but really, I believe as we read them out and declare them over ourselves, that truth will start to get into our hearts. That we'll start to believe what we're saying, and if you do this on a daily basis, you'll start to receive what God has for you and what God is saying to you. So let's stand together, and, let's, and we'll declare this together. Count of three. One, two, three. 2022, I declare, I am a child of God. I have been accepted as royalty into God's family and am no longer under condemnation from sin because Jesus won absolute victory for me. I am a joyful servant and trusted friend of God. I will obey his calling and his leading no matter where it takes me, knowing that he will never lead me astray. I trust God with every aspect of my life. He has promised to never leave me or forsake me, and I take him at his word. I choose to, there we go, I choose to rely on God no matter what problems I face. Jesus provided the answer to all my problems before I even had them, and I trust his solutions over my own. I am an active partner with the Holy Spirit who's working in me to change me and transform me into a new person. I willingly follow his voice and leading as I become more like Christ by his power and love. Father God, I just pray over your people, over myself and over this church, God. You see our heart, our desire to go deeper. So God, I just pray that you will meet us where we're at. That as we commit our time to you, God, that you will show up in powerful ways, God. And you will demonstrate your love to us in incredible ways, God that we will be open vessels receiving all that you have for us, that we will be willing to lay aside the fake relationships that we have with this world, and we will be willing to pursue you first. God, let us receive all the love that you have for us, God, that we may be filled, we may be changed, and we may transform the world. Pray this name.